We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Join me in a reading from Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Uh, If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Elbert McGowan. I'm a friend of uh, Brent and Katie, and it is good for my family now to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 55. Thank you, sister, for just reading God's word. Uh, This is a psalm that's about anguish. David's been hurt, and this psalm is being told from his perspective. So we don't know who the other person is. We don't know what the offense is. We don't know the the, the event surrounding the pain. But this is David's recounting of something that is troubling his soul. Let's pray together, and then we'll go into God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for being a speaking God, that you speak uh, and you reveal yourself through creation so that men and women and children are without excuse. Creation tells us that a beautiful and powerful and almighty God has created things seen and unseen. And though men can get on ships and go to 
the outer space. We cannot wrap our minds around your power and your might. And yet scripture tells us not only that you exist, but, but what you're like. And so Father, would you speak to your people through your servant? Would you attend to our fears and our cares and our anxieties? Would you put the evil one at bay to um, keep him from distracting us from receiving your implanted word? Would you speak to your servant for the glory of Christ, I pray, amen. George Barna um, does a lot of research uh, around the church. And he says in his research that four out of every 10 unchurched people in the U.S. avoid church life because of a bad past experience in the church or in relationship to churched people. Whether the issue is the judgment rendered against them or the lack of trust between congregants and church leaders, perceived hypocrisy in the lives of the churched, or outright incivility and meanness suffered at the hands of church members, some 25 to 30 million adults stay away from Christian churches because of the past treatment they have experienced from a local body of Christ. That's four out of 10 people who profess that the reason they can't make their way in this room, it's because people like you and me have wounded them. If this holds true, then in a room this size, there's a chance that you too have been hurt by someone in the church in the past. There's a saying in the black church, you're either in a storm, you've come out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. And I say we can say the same thing about church hurt. Either you are currently healing from hurt, you have been hurt, or if you stay around any covenant community for any length of time, you will be hurt. Pastors and clergy can hurt parishioners. Parishioners can hurt other parishioners. Parishioners can hurt the very pastors and clergy that are, that are pastoring and shepherding them. No one is immune from inflicting or being harmed by image bearers who proclaim to know and love Jesus. And what this Psalms does for us this morning, it's gonna give us words into that reality. It's gonna give us words that help us understand what's going on in our souls when this happens. It's gonna remind us of the dark places that I think we can go if this is not attended to in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's gonna offer us a better path forward. And so I wanna acknowledge the first thing in this passage is the hurt that David experiences. If you're taking notes, the hurt that David experiences. You know, when I read this psalm, I imagine David to be in a really hard place. I imagine him to be alone. Perhaps he's not eating, he's not shaved. 
He doesn't have the desire to go throw the baseball with his son. He doesn't have the desire to go play tennis with his daughter. His wife can see that something is off. The weight of the world is on the shoulders of her husband, and there is absolutely nothing she can do about it. That he's either a king or a shepherd or a soldier, and in this particular moment, he is a liability for the city of God, for the people of God. He is a liability because he is wounded, he's distracted. This is the same David who looks at the heavens and the moons and the stars, and he is captivated by the glory of God. But, but for this psalm, glory has been grabbed, and affliction has blinded beauty. There's a song that Babyface put out two occasions, right? I only think of you on two occasions. That's day and night, right? Y'all know that? Some of y'all do, right? It's old school. <laughs> but what Babyface is saying is, I love this woman. And whether it's day or night, I cannot get my mind off of her. Did you notice in the song that David does something morning, noon, and night, in verse 2, in verse 17, look at what he says he does in verse 17. Evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and I moan. Look at verse 2, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. David cannot not think about the pain. That's what he's doing, morning, noon, and night. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Why? Because on the surface, it looks like there is one enemy, but then he switches it to the plural. He says, they drop trouble on me. And so what we think is happening here is that there is a, a unified front. There are a group of people who are unified in their oppression and harm against David. He says, their words. He says, Lord, divide their tongues. This is Tower of Babel language, where David is actually praying to God, confuse their language. Let not what they're doing with their words come into fruition. They, they are wounding him with their feelings. They are holding grudges against him. Their actions is they are oppressing me. This is Exodus language. It points us back to Pharaoh who oppressed and dealt crudely with the people of Israel. And here's the irony. This is the city of God, the people of God. And what David is saying, you're acting like Babel. You're acting like Pharaoh. You're acting like the Egyptians. And then David tells us why this hurts so bad. Because the ringleader in verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 21 is not Pharaoh. It's one of his close friends. He says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not an adversary. He says, I could hide from him. It is my companion my familiar friend, my companion stretched his hand against me, my companion violated his covenant, 
my companion and I took sweet counsel of God together. We walked into the house of God together. He says, I did not see this coming. This guy has been in my home. We have vacationed together. We've broken bread together. We've prayed together. We've studied God's word together. We've walked into to the house of God together. How is it you, my friend, could treat me this way? And this is a reminder. Look around the room that every one of us who names the name of Jesus, you have the capacity to help the body. And there is something that still resides in you that can hurt the body. This is what Luther is speaking about. that we are simultaneously holy and hellish. And you know how it starts. You come into a church and you make your vows to protect the peace and the purity of the church. You come into the church because it's a refuge. You come into the church because you love Jesus, you love the bride. And then you're caught in the paradox the same people that you are journeying with have the potential to hurt you. And the things that can wound us are legion. Maybe you felt ignored in a moment of trial and no one showed up. Or maybe your marriage hit a rough, part, a rough patch and you had counselors like Job in your corner. Or maybe you disagree with the way the church has handled this pandemic that we've not seen before, or is handling it because it's not over. Or maybe you've stumbled upon a church member's social media feed and their political views don't align with yours and you see what they post, you see what they write, and all of a sudden you feel wounded, or, or maybe there was gossip about something that, that you confessed to another person. Or maybe you're black. The unrest that we've seen in our country, you felt unheard and uncared for. Or maybe the church is clunky around nuance and language around how do we love a person who wrestles with this or is this? They're legion. The ways that we can hurt people is real. I want to remind you that you're not in uncharted territory. Go read Acts chapter 7 and look at how the Gentile widows were overlooked in a daily distribution of food. They took care of all the Jewish widows, but these Greek-speaking widows, they were second-class citizens. Go read Paul, who says that everyone abandoned me when I was in prison. Go read the book of Corinthians where they were suing one another and had the types of sexual sin that would make Vegas blush. 
Go read the book of James, where James says, when a brother who is wealthy comes into the house of God and a brother who is poor, who is falling on hard times, who is trying to piece it together, if you show preferential treatment to the person who is wealthy, you are showing partiality. Look, I'm not justifying or minimizing it. All I'm telling you is if you have been hurt by the church, welcome to the church. This has happened before. And it's going to happen until Jesus comes home. Maybe right now you're recalling a person or a situation. Can we just kind of honor that right now? It's okay to acknowledge that you've been hurt. We serve a God who puts this in this Bible so that he, he, he can empathize with us. He knows where we are. The next thing I want to show you is the toll that this hurt takes on David's soul, the toll on his soul. On a soul level, you see it in verse 18, David is harmed. He's deeply wounded because he has loved deeply and has been betrayed. And I want to submit to you that this wounding causes him to, to, to want two things. Both, I think, are wrong. One is distance from the body. And two is the destruction of those who hurt him. Look at verses 6 through 8. David says, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. You see what David is saying? This isn't the first time he tells us in the Psalms that he wishes he had wings. In, in Psalm 139, he speaks of the majesty and the presence of God everywhere. He says, if I had wings and could fly to the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, you are there. He's talking about the God who is big, whose presence he cannot escape. But in this Psalm, his God ain't that big. He says, I want some wings. You give me some wings so I can fly away from those folk. I don't want to be around them. I would rather dwell in the wilderness. Y'all know how odd that is? Humans in the wilderness in David's day have the, the, the amount, the, the chance of survival is, is that of putting a fish out of water. Life is not meant for humans to be lived in the deserts. There's scorpions and jackals and creatures and cacti that can handle the drought, the isolation, the brutal heat of the day, the, the cold nights. There is no shade in the desert. Your clothing wears out in the desert. Your sandals wear out in the desert. And for Israel, the wilderness had, a, had a, another peculiar meaning, right? When God delivered them out of Egypt, he did not say, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt so that you can go live in the wilderness. Where I will give you manna perpetually and give you water from a rock perpetually. That's not a good promise. His promise was to take you from the house of bondage to put you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
with vineyards you did not plant and a city that is fortified. You see what David is saying? God's plan was never for Israel to remain perpetually in the wilderness. He had a home for them, a place for them, a land for them, and crops for them, and water for them, and shelter for them, and a temple for them. And so what David is actually saying, I want to go back to the wilderness because the wilderness beats being around your people because they're trifling. This is illogical. It goes against the flow of redemption. I think we're getting a window into what hurt does. When we're wounded by the church, we kind of stop wanting to be there, don't we? We don't want to serve with that person. We don't want to sit under their teaching. We don't want to be in a community group with them. Why? Because we are averse to pain. We don't like it. So when I was in the third or fourth grade, me and a, two or three of, my, three of my friends, we perfected this game. We discovered the beauty of a thumbtack. And what we would do is we sat, we sat in the chairs in the classroom and we would get our parents to take us to Eckers, take us to the drugstore, we wanna get some thumbtacks. And we would bring those thumbtacks to the classroom and we would put them in people's chairs. <laughs> and we got good at it. I mean, you could know I was gonna do it and the moment you were about to sit down, I could slide that thumbtack in there. And you know how it goes. As soon as you sit on it, you jump up. We got in trouble, right? We got caught and had to go to detention. But no one who sat on a thumbtack ever said, hey, what is this object back there that's poking me? I think I'm feeling pain. No, but before you knew what it was, the knee-jerk reaction was to not keep sitting on what was causing you pain. This is how we are in the church. When we're wounded, we want distance because we don't like the pain. And I think distance gives way to destruction. You see it in, in verse 15. There's a progression that's happening here. So in, in verses 9, from 9 to 15, in verse 9, God asks him, divide their tongues. It literally means to split their tongues, to, to confuse their speech. Don't let their plans happen. That, that's a good prayer, right? But then David, he goes a place that I don't think we ought to go. He says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. That language, Sheol alive, it too comes from Moses. Back in Numbers chapter 16, you remember the, the sons of Korah who rebelled against Moses? You're not a prophet. Who made you prophet over us? And Moses says, hey, challenge me. Well, challenge God. If God does not validate that I'm a prophet, then I'm a lie. But if God does something today that he's never done before, 
then you're in sin. And you know what happened on that day? The earth opened up and it swallowed them alive and the earth covered them up. That is what David prays right here. He says, Lord, I call down your judgment. Do them, do to them what you did to those people back there. This is more than wanting the Lord to thwart their plans. This is David asking the Lord, knock them off. Open the ground up and swallow them right now. And I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind when he says, pray for your enemies. I don't think he means pray like this. I think this is here because it's giving a window into where we can go from the distance to wanting their destruction. Stephen Mansfield, he's a New York Times bestseller. He's written books on the faith of President George W. Bush. He also wrote a book on the faith of President Barack Obama. But before he was a writer, he had a previous vocation. He was a pastor. And he's written a book on church hurt and how it is healed. And here's what he writes. There is a pattern that we need to be aware of. When a person is wounded by the action of others in the church, that wound is nasty and deep. Rather than respond with forgiveness and peace, the offended person nurses the wound and makes it worse by replaying it in his or her mind and plotting their revenge. He or she is taking the bait and it is in the trap of the offense. Now those syringes of bitter liquid are being emptied into that already wounded soul. And here is where the dark plan begins to unfold. The devil's plan was not just to capture that one person, but to use him or her to bring others into the fold. That rage keeps you warm. The bitterness makes all things possible. There are no restrictions on your actions or your words in this place. You know, Jesus says, do not retaliate. He says, turn and give them the other cheek. He says, you have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And I don't think that praying is this what David prays. He continues to say, for God makes the sun rise on evil and the good. And God sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so behind Jesus's words is a glorious father who is behind the affliction, no matter who it's from. He's doing something. He's making us more like him who endured affliction. Jesus goes on to say, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You must be perfect in your love, perfect as your your father in heaven is perfect who loves sinners and forgives sinners. So I think David is in the, the abyss of betrayal. For the moment, the, the syringe of the bitter wrath is being pumped into his heart and it disturbs him and it disorients him. It wants him to put distance between himself and the body and it even wants him to pray for their destruction. Are you there? Have you been there? 
Are you secretly avoiding people? Does the mention of someone's name bring out some sinful things in you? Maybe you two have been hurt. There's a way forward that I think, this is our last point in the passage, there's a way forward for the hurt. Let me be the first to say it's hard. I think when you look at David and the structure of the psalm, you see it, right? You see it in verse 16, where David, right after verse 15, he says, let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive. But then he says, but I, but I, but I called to the Lord and he will save me. Evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint, right? So it seems like David is on the uptick. And then look at verse 20. My companion stretched out his hand against his friend. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. What's happening there? I think David is down, and he's on the brink of getting up. And as he's praying and is almost healed, the memory of what they did to him comes up again. And now he's back down. I think it's a window into how hard it is to move forward. But it's possible only in Jesus. What is David after? He's after rest. He says, I'm restless. My mind can't stop racing. My heart cannot stop aching. I'm willing to fly into the desert for this rest. I want a place or a shelter to cover me from the storm. He wants someone to receive him and empathize with him. They are arrayed against him. But who's on his side? Who hears his side of the story? Who is relating to what he's going through? He wants recompense, which is another word for justice. He wants rightly so justice to be, to be served. And he wants restoration. He wants to be saved. He wants someone in their infinite wisdom and power who can bring all of this to an end. He wants his life back with the freedom to go in and about without threats. He wants not just to have refuge from the storm. He wants this storm to be over. He doesn't want distance. He doesn't want to be out of fellowship with the body. How will he get it? This rest that you're looking for if you've been hurt, You find it in Jesus. It is Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, maybe what God is doing behind the hurt is drawing you deeper and deeper to himself. That language for burden, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, it's the same language you see in this psalm where David says in verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. That rest is not in the wilderness, David, and it's not in your distance from the church, beloved. It's found in Jesus. He says, come to him. He will make you clean. Come to him. He is not like the church. 
come to him, he will never do anything wrong or unjust or unloving to you. He is a kind and beautiful Savior. He wants to be received and empathized with. In this psalm, it looks like no one gets David's side of the story. No one understands. But Jesus looks at you and says, look, David, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have friends and for them to stab you in the back. I had 12 of them. And I told them, I do not call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. And those same friends, hours after Jesus coronated them with that title, one kissed him and set in order a series of events that sent our Savior and their friend to the cross. They scattered and left him there alone. They didn't even go get his body, y'all. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went and got the body of their friend and gave him a proper burial. No, Jesus can look at David and Jesus can look at you and I. He says, I know exactly how you feel. He says, it happened to me. He wants recompense. He wants justice. And for the believer, don't we believe that justice will be carried out in one of two places? On the cross where the sins of those against us were dealt with and nailed to him? Or in the future when Jesus returns? But when we grasp the weight of God's justice and judgment, that we're free not to exact vengeance. We're free to pray for our enemies. We're free to give them to the Lord. And he wants restoration. I'm interpreting Psalm 55 in light of two other Psalms. Psalm 16, 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Y'all know who wrote that song? David. Wait a minute, David. How you want them dead? But back in Psalm 16, you says they're the excellent ones. All of your delight is in the saints. What about Psalm 33, the Psalm of Ascents, the second to last one, where David writes how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the oil, the oil that rolls down, down Aaron's beard. It is like the dew from Mount Hermon that flows into Zion. This is the same David who prays that they're dead. In Psalm 133, he says, the most precious thing I see is when brothers and sisters are dwelling together in unity. And so you have to interpret Psalm 55 in light of the whole. And what you're seeing is the ark of Psalms. They're the excellent ones. This is where God's glory is. It's in the church and you will be hurt by the church. But how pressured it is when those who have wounded you, that that wound is healed 
and division is settled and peace is there. This is all coming from the same author. So here's the question. How do we get on that ark? How do we go on the ark of healing, the ark of forgiveness, the ark of redemption, the ark of restoration? Y'all know the answer. Only in Jesus. God has made peace between you and himself. And that is cosmic. All of the offenses, if God were to keep a score, let's not talk about nobody else. Let's talk about us. All of those offenses that we have done to offend God, if God has blotted those things out and has made peace with us and himself through Jesus, you know what God commands us? That same forgiveness and peace that you have with me that means the world to you. Go give that. Forgive your enemy. Love them. Pursue them. You see, this is why I think Jesus says that if you're coming to the table or the altar and you realize that your brother has something against you, Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Don't play church. That brother or sister is on the path of distance and destruction. Leave it and go be reconciled and then come back with your brother and partake together. This is the ark that Jesus is on to be our peace and to heal our wounds and hurts. Amen. We're going to come to the table. And what a fitting, fitting response. Because the table reminds us of what we've talked about. That Jesus Christ knew that there was something that separated us from him. And he would take the initiative to put on flesh and to come to the earth and to live a glorious, beautiful, spotless life, to tear down the barrier between us and God that we might have fellowship with a holy and righteous God. Jesus says, I'm the peacemaker, I will go. And the table also points us to this reality. It's the reason why we hold it and eat together. Because we're fellow sinners who have a common and beautiful Savior. And so as we come to the table, it's a moment to search our hearts. If we're harboring something, maybe today is the day that you abstain. And maybe today is a day that you make that phone call 
or pay that visit to that brother or sister that you're out of fellowship with. And if you're not a Christian, we are so glad you're here and we want this to be a church where you don't have to pretend to be who you are not. If you're not a believer and you're not convinced, you are so free. As a matter of fact, we encourage you to just stay where you are. There is no condemnation here. There are some prayers in your liturgy book that if there's a prayer of surrender, that we would encourage you to, to stay there and to reflect on who Jesus is and, and where you stand with him. We would love to talk to you about the glory of the gospel. But if you're a believer in good standing and you come to this table weary and needy, recognizing your guilt and recognizing your, the provision that you have in Christ, Jesus invites us to come. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up. We'll have a words of institution, and then I'll go to my left and read over some of the instructions that, that Brent left me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for being a peacemaker. We thank you for being a healer. We thank you for forgiving our transgressions that we might go out and forgive those who transgress against us. Father, I pray for those who have been wounded by the church. And I pray that you today by your spirit and your word and your church would offer them redemption and tenderness and empathy and rest. Father, thank you for being a good God who takes signs and seals and you apply them to us that we might taste and know that you are good. And so may we taste of your goodness, of your grace, of your pardon, of our redemption, even now for the glory of Christ, I pray. Amen.